spoil the movie by adding your own commentary. Hello and welcome to Side Flicks. I almost said Side Jigs. Uh, Side Flicks, a podcast where we see what's in theaters so you don't have to. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we certainly saw something that you don't have to see in theaters this week. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, I think we have to we have to come out here and say it. Because this is a spoilers-only podcast, as we've mentioned. No such thing as spoiler-free, baby. It's spoilers-only. Bold of Army Hammer to make his return to film as a murdering villain. To be fair. To be fair. They did start shooting this in 2019. Okay. And the allegations against him became public in 2021. Which, first of all, I cannot believe that. It feels like it happened forever that ago. That was literally, like... A decade ago. I can't remember a, a time before I knew that Army Hammer was a cannibal. Like, yeah, that's just seems like a part of my knowledge or, now. I mean, like cannibalism, like cannibalism fetish accusations aside, just like a, a bad dude, like a, yeah, a, a serial assaulter. Yeah. Like what a fucking asshole. I, um, I have, and even though they started filming this in 2017, no, 2019, whatever year you just <laughs> said, that wasn't the year that was the other thing. <laughs> Why didn't they just, like, Kevin Spacey his ass? Oh, why did they not reshoot him? You know, when we walked into this, we saw Death on the Nile, by the way. Oh, yeah, sorry. We saw Death on <laughs> the Nile directed by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> and uh, written by Michael Green, who also wrote Murder on the Orient Express, which preceded this one. It's technically a sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, but, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, when we... When we sat down, I was like, maybe this movie is just like too ensemble heavy and you couldn't have redone all of his scenes without dragging everybody back into production. But I don't think that's the case. Nope, not at all. Not at all. After having seen it, you totally could have done it. Yeah. Why didn't you? Especially because when we saw the trailer for this movie, they cut his face out in every single possible shot. Yeah. Oh, you would not know that he was in this movie if it weren't for the fact that he's billed high enough that his name had to be in the trailer. Yeah. And is on most of the posters that I've seen. I'm also interested. I am pretty sure he was dropped by his agency. He around, was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder who he's with now. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. Are you Are you about to look it up? Yeah. Vamp for time. <laughs> Julia, tell us your initial thoughts on Death on the Nile. Um... You know what? Honestly, a lot of it to me felt like um, an extended ad for Viking River Cruises. Just (laughs) like the boat was beautiful. Um, I would go on this boat were there no murder involved. So that it was nice to look at is what I'll say. I find it interesting that um, like... We never, like, obviously because the 1930s in, like, the cultural consciousness of anybody who had to take a, a U.S. history class or any history class is, like, that shit sucked. So it's a little bit fun when you see, like, something that is of that time period and it's sort of, like, luxurious and, like, brilliant and not just the Depression. Oh, yeah. Not just um, horrible and heart-wrenching. People are actually having a good time because they have a lot of money. A lot of money. They do. They um, do. And I don't know, apparently the reason that they got all of that money in this movie is that um, our main character, Ms. Gal Gadot's dad, stole it from people during the Depression. I'm not really sure how that works because I didn't know anyone had money at that point. No, I mean, people still did. And, like, that was a huge thing for, like, the, like, robber barons and stuff is that their fortunes were waning. And then a lot of them ended up being, like, greedy, ugly, like, power-hungry monsters. And Mm -hmm. then some of them ended up being, like... You know, good Samaritans. 
Like I, there's this story about like I uh yeah, I don't know like a Rockefeller or like a Vanderbilt, it doesn't matter which one, of them. one had like a jar of dimes by their side of their front door and every time they went out they'd fill their pockets to give it to like the starving people, which is not actual <laughs> wealth redistribution, but probably the closest that like a white sociopathic maniac who would you'd have to be crazy enough to acquire that type of money can get, like that's the closest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all about context and scale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, there were elements that I thought were really fun, especially the stuff of, like, grandeur. I think the costuming was really fun. Beautiful. Yeah, I love sort of, like, the... Um, it's it's funny because I think that a lot of, like, 30s fashion is actually reminiscent of, like, the 1910s sort mm-hmm. of, like, ragtime era fashion, especially, yeah. like, the light colors and the glasses and, like, the sort of seersucker-type patterns. So, like, everything on the boat, everything... Everyone's wearing, especially, what's the doctor's name? Russell Brand's character. Um, he's a doctor, but the rest of it, I yeah. Who, let me, who let cares? Me pull anyway, the cast his, list. his look was really good. So there were like fun elements that were okay, but then there were other technical elements that were just so bad. Anything in particular that's jumping out to you? Uh, the CGI. Oh my god. Okay, well, what's crazy to me about that is that I know, um, from the very minimal research I did on this movie, that they did shoot in Morocco so they had stuff that they were doing on location um and yet seemed to be relying an insane amount on green screen and when you juxtapose those shots of like the actual place versus the green screen imagination one it really takes you out of it and two it makes the green screen look so fake Mm, yeah yeah, I agree. A lot of that stuff could have just been done with like the it's really clear that a lot of the um uh shots of the boat were all done on green screen and mm-hmm. what they needed to do was go out and get some drone footage and then put the boat in on that. Yeah. Um it yeah, it looked kind of bonkers. Also like I even though the boat is such a specific thing like I don't necessarily think this movie has a great sense of place. No. It is like an exaggerated, like, fanciful idea of Egypt. It's a little orientalist in that way. It is, especially taking into consideration, like, Britain's specific unique history with Egypt, especially around this time with how involved they were in, like, the archaeology and kind of the ownership they felt over much of Egypt and its, like, ancient history. And I think kind of some of that comes through, but a lot of it feels really nonspecific. Hmm. Like we get yeah. one shot of the pyramids. There's a shot of them at this temple that I've n- I've never seen pictures of before. Yeah. I don't know if you have or maybe I'm just like totally missing something. I think it's a real place. It probably is. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like mm, It almost feels like too much time was spent in places that were not the boat. Like, I wish that they had just gotten on the boat and were on the boat. Oh, everything about um, Poirot in the trenches in World War One with, like, this massive, like, black and white sequence of, like, to show off his, like, excellent in stra- excellence in strategy. I was like, I think he can just show up and we can know that he's good at solving crimes. So that's, like, kind of the joy of Knives Out. <laughs> yeah. Even Okay, but Knives Out is an incredibly well-constructed film. Yeah. Um. And, but this movie doesn't even have to be because Poirot is one of the most famous 
detectives mm-hmm. in literary history. Yes. You don't need to set that up for us. Yeah. Especially if you're assuming that many people who are going to see this probably saw Murder on the Orient Express. Since it's technically a sequel. We didn't see Murder on the Orient Express. Certainly nor did we no. know it was a sequel. <laughs> Not until we looked it up. Oh, yeah. Shows how much research we do. Carrying over the Teen Wolf, Wolf <laughs> tradition. Um, yeah, I think that, like, there it like had a lot of big ideas it wanted to demonstrate that it just kind of fell flat like everything like the world war one stuff I was like okay like I don't he doesn't actually need a tragic backstory especially if it's not all that well fulfilled or carried out throughout Mm -hmm. the rest like that was just like pointless man pain and it sort of was like you're not even giving me a good idea as to like what I need to be understanding about like the society that the rest of this movie is going to be taking place in right this felt like right and I know that Brit, the Brits are, and this is not a kind way of, of saying this, but like I have this, these huge, like obsessive feelings over the first world war. Mm-hmm. Um, understandably. Understandably. Like we, we did not participate very much. We should have just at the end to get at the negotiating table. Like that was America's role in world war one. Typical. Um, so I understand like the cultural um, interest in wanting to pursue that, but like, that's not in the book. That scene no. is not in the book that Agatha Christie wrote. Yeah, so much of what frustrated me about this movie is how little we knew about the rest of the characters and how little time there was invested in setting them up as an ensemble. Because for the most part, these people are spending the entire movie with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really feel like the opening scene doesn't take up that much time, but it really just kind of goes to show what they were looking for and it wasn't what I was looking for no if that makes sense no you know like Kenneth Branagh of Sir Ken- Kenneth Branagh <laughs> of Kenneth Branagh fame um I think is somebody who I whose work I really appreciate he definitely like it's really fun to watch Kenneth Branagh in things he's clearly an incredible actor um mm-hmm. even when he's being sort of foppish and ridiculous but I think that he's somebody who very much gets caught up in, like, aesthetics. Yeah. And, like, that's a real key, like, sort of thing that drags this movie a little bit. It's what makes him so hit or miss. Yeah. It made the first Thor movie pretty fun. I always forget. I know. That that's him. I know. Wild. I guess the first Thor movie is sort of Shakespearean. You know? I suppose so. But it's funny, like, when you go to hashtag theater school, you end up having to watch everyone's <laughs> version of Hamlet. So I have seen his and David Tennant's and Benedict Cumberbatch's. And obviously, Kenneth Branagh directed that Ham- that version of Hamlet. And it is so much more preoccupied with, like, visual sort of um, suggestion and stuff mm-hmm. that I think that that's, like, you know the scene where he, he gives to be or not to be to a mirror? Yeah. 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 Right? Like, it just feels like he's so... He thinks of the idea and then finds a way to put it in there. And that's what it felt about this whole World War II scene. And, like, a couple of the other things as well mm-hmm. that distract from, like, again, what we want to know about, which is the characters. We spend absolutely no time with anybody who isn't Poirot. Who is interesting. But not World War One interesting. <laughs> like, he's no. interesting by the virtue of the fact that he is this great detective. I don't, actually mm-hmm. don't need that other stuff. And so part of that was, like, I guess aesthetically pleasing to look at, but not particularly necessary. It also just aesthetically doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie. And I thought that the black and white was going to show up more 
because there are a few instances where he's like having a flashback or he's utilizing his past pain to help him realize something and you see a little bit of black and white and that's fine if that's how you want to use it as a device but it's just not used enough to matter or to count Mm -hmm. and it detracts from the rest of the aesthetic I agree yeah had it returned as a motif I might have been more interested but it, it doesn't. It's really just kind of dropped. And it also seems like at odds with a lot of what we get from Poirot, the character, because he's kind of funny and a little neurotic. And like, it doesn't really suggest to me this deep pain. It just suggests to me kind of like an odd dude. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know what it added. I agree. You know, it's like, what is it? I, I know that this is just like the reference that I've been on, but it keeps becoming relevant where it's like, when you watch the first season of House before knowing why House is the way he is, you just accept him as being like a tortured genius mm-hmm. and you don't have to know. Like you, I don't have to know why Poro is tortured. And again, that does distract from what we know about the other characters. So let's talk a little bit about the other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, they are faceless nobodies who all have this insane obsession with Lynette for reasons. Lynette um, Gal Gadot's character the reason that everybody is brought together for her wedding Mm -hmm. to army hammer. Yes. Um, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. When I'm bad at my job, I get yelled at when Gal Gadot is bad at her job. She keeps booking new movies. How does that work? (laughs) To be fair. Yeah. And as previously mentioned earlier on in this specific podcast, spoilers abound. Spoilers only. (laughs) She is the murdered. That's true. So she's gone pretty quick. Yeah. She doesn't have to stick it out throughout the whole movie. And I think that's part of what makes it a little more bearable. Yeah. Um, but especially considering um, the fact that, like, she is the one murdered. And so, you know, Poirot spends all of this time trying to figure out, like, all of these people who surround her. They feel strongly about her in what ways. And... We get so little of her characterization. Gal Gadot is just kind of being who she is. So we don't really get a sense of why people love or hate her. No. And so it makes... It hinges, like, the the stakes and the intrigue on Army Hammer and um, his former lover... Jacqueline. Jacqueline, uh, played by a woman, Emma Mackey. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, she's doing a wonderful job. Yeah, I think she's really fun. Real intrigue. Um, but it's not fair, I think, in an ensemble cast to just l- land all of that importance on two characters when you have so many others yeah. to be working and with. Yeah, and so many really excellent actors to bring in and bounce off of. This is a stacked cast. Yeah. For in, in Especially in, like, the British um, film mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. I was sitting there being like, God, that guy looks so familiar. It took me forever to figure out it was Russell Brand, because when was the last time anybody saw him that clean? Um, I would not have noticed if you hadn't pointed it out to me, and oh my God, he looks good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I had to hear him talk before, because his voice is so specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like there's a huge mismanagement of these characters, and I was I was doing my research on the original book, which I have not read. Um, Neither have I. Full disclosure, but nobody was expecting me to have it anyway. Um the sort of like impetus that like all of this crime has to be focused directly on Lynette is just like not necessarily there. Like we don't have to have all of these, you know, incredibly obvious ties. And I think that actually weakens it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think finding, you know, less like, um, he was in love with her. He's trying to steal her money type of like really like 
easy connections to make would have mm-hmm. been made for a stronger investigation and then would have also had to place more character in these people that wasn't just their relationship to this dead woman. Yeah. Really, I think part of that comes down to huge time mismanagement. Yeah. Because the murder mystery really only starts in like the latter half of the film. And it that is a disservice to the pace and also to the characters. Yeah. I, if I, okay. I know that like clearly there's, there would be a reason to like hide the fact that Lynette is the one murdered or whatever. So you don't even necessarily have to do it this way but like I think a great use of the first 10 minutes that we spend in World War II would be the start of the investigation and then we flash back to go forward mm-hmm. would yeah. have been a much better way you get us invested we get to start hearing people's testimonies like that's how we start and then you know it's either revealed then or later that it's Lynette who's dead like that would have been a much better use of our time to start to get to understand like the sort of you know ticks of all of these people and like coming to conclusions and suspicions about them and then watching the story unfold. Cause again, like we just don't spend enough time with them. Yeah. The, I think the main problem can be boiled down to, we are being told and not shown for pretty much the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find that really hard to connect to and boring. Yeah. I find it boring. And again, like there's just this sort of brilliant damaged guy who we're just supposed to like take as, you know, like he's, he's like so infallible you know he's never wrong at any point during this investigation he's just keeping and he his... totally should be yeah he's just keeping like all of these cards so close to his chest that we don't actually have like i think that like it actually makes it so much more obvious that we don't get to see him be wrong because you're pretty sure the whole time that it's army hammer and um emma mackie yeah it's simon and jacqueline, jacqueline. i remember yeah. oh simon it's so it is so obvious it is so obvious that it's the two of them. Um, and so all of the interviewing that gets done before that is like, okay, well, we're just waiting and waiting and waiting for the reveal. And there could have been so much fun had in this script mm-hmm. doing those interviews. And you brought up Knives Out. I think that's a really good comparison because it's one of the best like mystery movies in the last couple of years. Because they don't really happen as much, <laughs> really. No, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But the... We walk into that movie and we're there for 10 minutes and we know exactly who this family is. Mm-hmm. And we are not giving that luxury here. Yeah. Um, I feel like we keep pounding on that specific point. Well, yeah. Um, it's also just sort of like there's a, an extreme lack of familiarity that all of these people have with each other. We never see the other, like, the other people in this ship interact. We never see like the doctor and book talk. No. Which is, again, like, lacking. And maybe we're talking ourselves in circles here, but, like, when it comes to this, like, if you really want me to be invested in the mystery, I have to be, like, championing for people to not have been the murderer or, you know, wanting someone to, like, whatever. But you just have these two really obvious, like, Mm -hmm. characters. And you're like, okay, well, then I guess I don't give a shit. You know what I think is related to this issue Hmm. is how modern the script sounded. Oh, yeah. It felt like these were conversations that could have been happening in 2022, mm-hmm. and I, it, it would not have registered with me. And I don't think the language needs to be antiquated. It just needs to be demodernized. Well, yeah, because the our speech patterns now are very different yeah, than they were. They're dictated by the internet. <laughs> exactly. And so it, it 
it contributes to like the lack of specificity that we feel in the location. It contributes to the lack of specificity in the characterization. Like language is such an excellent way to get to know people. And it just seems so bland. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you think had this just been a like modern telling like a 2022 story version of this, it would have been better? Not necessarily. Because I I do like some of the, like again, the boat look like the set is great. And it's beautiful. The costuming is fun, and there's this scene at the in the beginning where they're at this like jazz club, um, mm-hmm. and there's like this sort of like dance that Army Hammer and Emma Mackey do that is like incredibly sexual, but it's like really captivating to watch, and you're like, that's really engaging. So there's like aesthetic reasons why I wouldn't want to change it, but like if you can't make the direct translation, like there is a case for being like just just set it in the modern day. Yeah. Said it in the modern day. I don't know. Maybe it would have helped if any of these actors were doing their natural accents. Oh, my God. We got to talk about this right now immediately. <laughs> oh, like, my God. I. Oh, my God. Um, Everything about it. For some reason, the only person who was speaking in their natural accent was Russell Brand. And it sounded fine. It sounded fine. Um, but like Letitia Wright, who is a very good actress, being asked to do this American accent was not great. It sounded way off. Army Hammer cannot was never in one country. He was either British or American. Um, Gal Gadot was doing her best to speak in an American accent, but Gal Gadot has a very specific accent, like in her natural speaking voice. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophie Okonedo is British and yeah. was asked to be playing an American like blues singer. Yeah, it just no. And like I think at that point, like you should just ditch them. Who cares? Right? Who cares? Who cares? It, Jennifer Saunders, mm-hmm. um, who plays Lynette's godmother, is like one of the most famous British comedians. And the woman who plays her like companion and, and nursemaid is her like real life comedic counterpart. And neither of them are speaking in their natural. Like, why? What? What is? I don't actually understand the point. And uh, because you clearly wanted to cast these people, mm-hmm. and if you're, they're not, if they can't do the accent, you you cast them so they should just be them, right? Right. And I'm a little bit like, if you want people to do accents, you should be pulling from a uh, like dialects. You should be pulling from a crew of actors who are good at that. Yeah, <laughs> who have who have that specific skill. You know, mm-hmm. like there are Brits who do really excellent American dialects, and there are Americans who do pretty okay. It's not as easily translated <laughs> pretty okay, you know, um, British dialects. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I don't really get it. Either pull, like, either cast for that skill or di- or get rid of the skill because it's clearly and even like Kenneth Branagh, who's doing this like Belgian French accent. He sounds probably better than most people, but he is, he doesn't, you, you can't hear him. You can't understand it. Oh, I had says. no idea. I caught 60% of the dialogue in this movie. I will also say the sound editing, bad. I couldn't hear Bonkers. anything. And like, I have a hard time hearing things in general. Um, but I have an easier time hearing things and I was struggling too. Yeah. It was, so you have this zesty blend of poor sound mixing and editing and people unable to maintain the dialects that they've been directed to use Mm -hmm. it sounds like gobbledygook yeah and it it really contributes to what I feel is kind of like a confusion the movie doesn't really know if it's supposed to be serious or funny and it could have been funnier and it could have been more serious totally whack way off um and I I don't mean serious in like a gray way um I mean serious in that it's like invested 
in itself or it could have just been camp like no I think yeah I think it either should have been like more shenanigans or a little bit more like noir Mm -hmm. you know yeah there are more sexy it is yeah and there are like fun funny moments in this but Mm -hmm. it's like it it's also a little bit like time and place like four people are dead right Mm -hmm. and it's not gallows humor it's not like you know the things you say (laughs) to break the ice in those situations it's sort of like hee hee ha ha but also like you know what I'm saying like the humor is not like there is a way to make this funnier and sadder at the same time but it's not jiving the the balance was not struck on a number of different levels Mm -hmm. and that but that's part of the problem is that like this I think had all of the elements for success and could not find the middle ground that would have brought success yeah yeah I'm 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 interested to know what people thought like people who saw um murder on the Orient Express were thinking um from what I understand it's about a similar like tonally whack no I don't think I think hardly anybody saw it and that's true it was a it was a panini movie right no it came out in 2017 I mean the oh really the box office is like pretty okay but okay. It, it it's one of those things that like I don't know Avatar made billions of dollars right and nobody remembers what it's about oh yeah um I don't think anyone remembers what murder on the Orient Express is about except that I don't know someone got murdered on a train well it's funny I think that's actually one of the most adapted of Agatha Christie's books works yeah yeah right now okay so right now critically um and not that Rotten Tomatoes means anything because but it's fun to look at it's fun to look at but it's an aggregate system um right now Death of the Nile is sitting at a 64 percent and uh, Murder on the Orient Express is, is sitting at a sixty. So, comparable films to the to the masses. It's really certainly. It, it was interesting to me right now is that like Belfast is making an Oscar push and is up for Best Picture and other things like a Kenneth Branagh film. A Kenneth Branagh film. He has the skill. He to has like, the range. He has the range. And the, but the thing is, like, the range is also to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. Uh, Sometimes God gives with both hands and then sometimes God gives with his one hand and then takes it back and then gives it back and can't decide. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the Kenneth Branagh situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's like switching <laughs> hands. He's like, what is it? Uh, which which cup is it under? Right. Yeah. Are we going to have a good day or a bad day mm-hmm. uh, in the film business? I don't know. It Clearly... Especially because he's playing Poirot and like this is this, his second go at it. It seems to me that this is something he really cares about. Mm-hmm. And he directed both films as well. Well, you know, I think that like there's, a, you know, there is this long standing tradition of crime storytelling being incredibly popular in England. Totally. And in Britain as a whole. It's how you get Sherlock Holmes. It's how you get like... All of the, you know, a million retellings of Jack the Ripper, a serial killer we know nothing literally. about. Literally nothing. It's all fan, it's, fan base. It's all it, fan it's, it's all fan <laughs> Everything about, yeah. Like, somehow, the like, the the entire population of Great Britain was, like, the first serial killer fandom, right? The, the OG murderinos. And, like, I mean, they're, like, you, you think, like, oh, haha, like, American copaganda. But, like... Half of what the mm. British entertainment industry pumps out is cop dramas, right? Totally. So I understand 
the like cultural grip in wanting to do this, especially because Agatha Christie is probably one of the most famous female authors of all time. And well-respected in addition to being famous. And really, I mean, like is exceptionally important to this genre and like the, you know, the compulsion to, to want to adapt these works and, and keep them alive is totally understandable. I just feel like this isn't particularly honorific of her work. No. Like, I, you know what? I said this to you as we left the theater. Like, this is Kenneth Branagh's take on a Baz Luhrmann film. And when you said that to me, I sat there thinking, oh my God, I wish I could see the Baz Luhrmann version of this movie. A little bit. It would have just been like, like, and there was a bunch of like random like accessory things where I was just like these, you know, spinning camera angles and like. In the interrogation scenes. Yeah. Not even just that. Like there was a lot of other like random, you know, shots that didn't feel purposeful. They felt like this will look good. Oh, all of the shots where Poirot is like in the middle of the screen. With the things on either side of him. I was like, like Wes Anderson. Symmetry. Wes Anderson called. <laughs> Wes Anderson who? Yeah. It, it just. Unfortunately, so much of this, I think, was meant to just like look really pretty. And it wasn't even making it, it to looking really look pretty. pretty. Um, let's move into a, a quick conversation about some of the artistic license it took with some of our characters as far as representation goes. Okay. So... This movie is primarily old white British people. Um, but it's an Agatha Christie book. It's an Agatha Christie yeah. book. But we also have some um, introductions of characters that replace one person in the book but serve a different purpose. Mm-hmm. So um, we have this blues singer. Do you know the character's name? Uh, I'll look it up. Why don't you do that? This blues singer and her daughter. Uh, I don't, Salome. Salome. Um, and her daughter, Rosalie. Yeah, so Salome and Rosalie. Um, in the original book, uh, Salome was a, um, a, a romance novelist. Um, and I understand why they would... I Not really. I, I Basically, like, including, uh, including a blues singer is smart because... It is far more representational of, like, what was actually happening in the era in the way that, like, all people have always exist, always, and a big culture piece in um, the 1930s was blues. Mm-hmm. But it ends up turning into this, like, really reductive conversation about race and basically sort of patting Book on the back for being, like, one of the good ones and Poirot on the back for being, like, one of the good ones. But, like, there's not enough other, like investigation as to like what it would be like for this exceptionally successful black woman to be amongst these like white socialites. I think that is a major failing of a lot of British media where it's just kind of a lack of understanding of the intersection of race and class and feeling like you can use class dynamics like to substitute commentary on racism. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think at one point Book's mother is just kind of like, well, you're not good together because of like a class issue. Like she's got no class Mm -hmm. or whatever. 
But obviously, by casting Letitia Wright, that just reads as his mother doesn't want him marrying a black woman. Which I actually think had they said that outright, it would have been a smarter like it would have been smarter like because the idea that they're just sort of burying this is like you're not actually getting at anything by the way and I do mm-hmm. not want to see anybody go like it's not like I want to see anybody experience racism no that sucks, of course not. but like the idea that everybody is just shrugging this off in any one way especially because there is a South Asian character on board the ship as well mm-hmm. who is like I guess Gal Gadot's cousin I think so. Or they, I guess they're close, they're family friends enough that they call each other cousins. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it's like the 1930s in England, being a South Asian person, um, not, not, not an great. easy life, not an easy life. Still not that great. Still not that great. Not at all. Oh my gosh. But like, especially around this time. And we also have um, the, so Lynette's um, uh, godmother and her nurse are revealed to be like, a lesbian couple and everybody just sort of no one acknowledges that it just goes away and it just feels like they're checking boxes mm-hmm. to ultimately say nothing to just say like the movie's not racist okay. or homophobic like okay but I wasn't asking for that I wasn't asking for that either and in fact I like and obviously there's like huge issues with like just the idea of like colorblind casting because that's also really reductive mm-hmm. but I was just sort of like pitching this as being progressive or is this having been you know a story that was like way ahead of its time is not accomplishing what you think it is and in fact it ended up like I said being pretty reductive and like since we spend so little time with these characters you're not saying anything in any one specific direction it's regressive rather than progressive like it doesn't actually help your cause and in fact I I wouldn't say it's regressive because I don't think it's like ultimately negative no, towards uh, any not, cause not towards perhaps, representation but like reductive yeah um I think that yeah it's it's sort of it's not doing anything it's sort of in a stalled place of being like but like this movie is actually really diverse okay then do something with that right mm-hmm. if that's the best I can ask that this is this has a diverse quoth unquoth cast okay cool but it just felt like again like p- pitching p- Poirot as somebody who's like so massively ahead of his time that you know he's not he's not subject to like biases that would it it affect his investigation what come on it it just seems like a situation of like wanting to have your cake and eat it too like you want to call attention to these issues but it's okay because Poirot is actually a really good guy you know what I want to see I just want to see a movie about like the blues scene and like the 1930s and like about like the successful musicians who paved the way for like American rock and roll. Yeah, that would be, I would, that's what I'm interested in. Like, that's what I want to see. Like, let's fund those movies instead of being like, isn't it so great that Letitia Wright is in this movie? It just, it doesn't add much. No, it just sort of distracted me. I think a little bit. And I think it distracted me because it was trying to pitch itself as making good commentary. I, I think I, I like I said like there's problems with quoth and quoth colorblind casting yeah. too, but I think I would have been less distracted had it just been like not commented on. I would agree because I don't think this movie has the capacity to make any of those social statements. No, and it's not that I don't want this cast to be rich and diverse and like of have all of these different you know pieces of representation in it. I just don't think that the movie was has the skill to handle it. No, and I and. Honestly, I think that's okay. Like, I think it's okay to acknowledge that certain films are not going to make this huge 
social statement again and that they don't have to it didn't have to because this one isn't really making a social statement in any one direction except for kind of about class like a little bit but like even that wasn't particularly well uh, investigated for I mean, a British movie. So like I said, like I think that if you wanted to cast this the way you did, it could have just been. You could have just done it and not worried about it. You could it. have just done it and not worried about it. Because I want to see these people in, in movies. I want to see representation. Like, yay, you know, black women. Yay, old lesbians. Woohoo. Love it. It's great. But they, it was just sort of like, okay, we get it. He's like a good guy. It was, the representation was used to fuel, like, the sort of um, moral standing and uh, ego of the white male main character, which... Who is already positioned as the moral center of the movie. So, bored, boring. We don't need it. Don't we don't need an extra part. No, he doesn't need to use these characters as, like, stilts, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I would agree. It was frustrating to watch, and I wish that it had just been... I really enjoyed watching Letitia Wright in this movie. I, I love Sophie Okonedo. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. I'm really happy to have seen them. I didn't need the rest of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, anyway. <laughs> what are some other technical elements you want to talk about? We kind of touched a bit on the CGI. We touched on the costuming. We touched a little bit on the uh, camera work. The score was so unrecognizable. I would never think about it ever again. I liked a lot of the like 30s music that I wouldn't I would never be able to tell you like what the name of that song is, but it sounds vaguely familiar. Mm-hmm. Especially like when they're getting on the boat or everything that Salome sings is like just kind of familiar and that really adds to like the the vibe of the story yeah I will say that the music that places it in a certain like time is really nice but like the actual score like the scoring is like I couldn't I wouldn't even recognize it if you played it for me no and especially I think when you are making a mystery film Mm -hmm. you want people to like be out and about and kind of hear a snippet of that on like a radio show or whatever and be like oh my god that is from Mm -hmm. this movie I just saw that was so cool and yeah I would never be able to be like that is from death on the nile yeah you know it's interesting you say like a radio show like i think that this would have been really benefited if it had played into like the radio play aspect of these things because a lot of the like big mystery stories like there's a lot of the sherlock holmes stories were developed into radio plays a Mm -hmm. lot of the agatha christie things it would have been fun had you start you know used a little bit not like the slapstick sound effects but like leaned into that and had that be part of your um you know um like oral perception of the movie well that's it goes back to the fact that like this movie could have been bigger and grander and more bombastic and I think that that would have aided in feeling something about it yeah rather than feeling nothing yes and I know yeah I just feel so (laughs) blank (laughs) um I think that the like I said, all of the acting performances, with the exception of Gal Gadot, who's in so little of it, are super passable, but I don't think that anybody is being used to their highest capacity. Definitely not. Um, I couldn't believe how little Russell Brand had to do in this movie. Like, he's a more minor character, but, like, Rose Leslie is in this, and yeah. she has one brief little scene where she gets to trot out her French accent, and then um, she gets thrown into the little water wheel mm-hmm. in the boat. Um Nobody really gets their moment to shine. Again, like Jennifer Saunders is an incredible comedic actress. Um, she doesn't get to be funny. 
She has a, like she's got like a, a couple bits at the beginning while we're just starting to see everybody for the first time and about communism. About communism and it's like so which is part of which is part of her character in the book. Like that's the mm-hmm. kind of joke. Um it's so brief and it's so before we've gotten to settle in with these characters that it's like completely ignorable. Oh, it's it's lost and it's not like introduced as just a part of her character and is carried through the rest of the movie like mm-hmm. she's just kind of bland everybody's just kind of bland everything's bland yeah which is frustrating especially since we know a lot of these actors are very capable of giving way more mm-hmm. yeah so um i think the directing was um superfluous what an excellent word yeah to describe which the directing again like kenneth, kenneth branagh like foppish as all get out I, I yeah but it's really interesting that people are having such this, these huge reactions to, to Belfast and I'm like interesting so he knows when to pull back right yeah but Clearly. like I guess you know if you're doing Agatha Christie you're like no everything has to be so big and whatever so uh but I actually think that that's would have been better benefited from subtlety to actually focus in on the other things that are so big about it um the music is totally boring the CGI is super bad the costume design I liked Mm-hmm. The set design I liked. Yeah, the it, boat. I want to be on that boat. Oh my god, it was so. I also like the idea of a riverboat. Yeah, the Viking River Cruises. I is that a thing? Oh yeah. Oh. Although I will say um, that apparently it is like an exclusive, not written on the website. But if you are under fifty years old, you probably shouldn't go on one because everybody will be in their fifties. Interesting. And enjoying their lovely river cruise. I feel like I would really fit in with retirees. That's. Almost certainly. We have the same lifestyle of being grumpy and not wanting to do anything else. So Yeah, you know, you just play bocce ball. I like shuffleboard. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Plus, I don't know. My mother has always said that the appeal of the river cruises is that, like, you could see the shore, and if something happened, you could just jump off the boat. Oh, okay. Which I find appealing because I guess so. cruises in the middle of the ocean, typically you cannot do that. I don't have, I don't have the deep, the open water fear you have. It's not even... <sighs> It's not even necessarily a fear of the open water. It's just that, like, I can't leave this freaking boat. It's like a claustrophobia thing. Yeah. Side chicks, tell us how you feel about open water. Are you claustrophobic? Are you claustrophobic? My, Violet, my friend Violet, Mm -hmm. uh, terrified of open water and terrified of deep water. And I'm like, you grew up in California. (laughs) How does that happen? I, it is, it's like one of those deep biological fears that you just, like, can't get over. cannot watch Titanic. And not even just because of the boat sinking. It's just like the first part of Titanic is like all of the submarine footage of the boat down there. And she like, I mean, it like panics her. Wow. Yeah. I, I've been like on a sub, not like while it was submerged, but like I've been on a submarine. Okay, submarines and I do terrify me. I would never go on a submarine. Yeah. If you can't get off the cruise ship and that would freak me out, imagine being underwater. underwater. No, I I mean, it's funny because I don't dislike, I dislike airplanes, but not for that reason. I dislike airplanes because they're germy. I, yeah, I figured. <laughs> they're, I, I imagine that submarines would also be quite germy. Quite germy and no, 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 because the thing about airplanes is they have such a massive turnover from people from everywhere and I don't know who's washing their hands and I know they don't clean off the seat trays and like it's I, just really, like that's so many, it's like licking a doorknob. Like that is so many people's germs. Ew. Right? Yeah. That's how I feel every time <laughs> okay. I'm on an airplane. Anyway. Um, so uh, let's give our final thoughts on Death on the Nile. Julia. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I prompted you to speak. Oh. Um, it was fine. 
it was like i'm not gonna recommend this to anyone um it, you know what this is? You know what this is? What? It's an airplane movie. Actually, I think what it happened, because you know when you, you get that like sort of weird euphoric, like hyper oxygenated brain when you're on an airplane, so you have really strong reactions to things? Yeah, that's why I can't finish the rest of Room. I have no idea what you watched. Oh, I also like, <laughs> I did watch 127 hours on a plane. I, that is psychotic. I, that? <laughs> I am a crazy person. I just r- read Crying in H Mart and I read the latter half of the book, you know, the crying part yeah. um, on a flight. I openly weeping. The people next to me were like, you okay? I was like, it's just this book. <laughs> and, and to answer your question, no. Yeah. Not no, okay. I was not okay. I highly recommend the book though. Yeah. It's an airplane movie. You know? It's a, it's a, hey, don't, well, you know what I say? Hmm. If you want to see it, sure. Don't pay for it. D- it will likely be on a streaming service because most movies that are coming out these days hit a streaming service sooner or later, usually sooner. Yeah. Um, these days for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, you know what? Pop yourself a bag of popcorn, eat a slice of leftover pizza. You know what? Hang out. This is a three glasses of wine movie. Mm. There are movies you shouldn't drink during because... They require your attention. They require your attention, or they might make you too sad. There are two glasses of wine movies. That's usually how I describe a wine, uh, like a rom com. Mm-hmm. This is like if you want to have the most fun, <laughs> three, glasses three glasses of wine. Yeah, um, one before the movie starts, mm-hmm. and two throughout. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would agree. Perhaps that's a rating system we can introduce to Seinfeld. Maybe. Um, I agree. I think. I think we're in the same place. I didn't have the worst time in my life. I wish I could have heard more of it. I think mm-hmm. I would have taken more away had I been able to hear anything that was happening in this movie. Yeah, seeing it in the theater and not being able to hear is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, wow, I wish there were subtitles. Also, yeah. Oh, okay, not to get on my soapbox. No, but there should be subtitles. Every single movie you see in a theater should have subtitles and or super titles. Like put the little box above, so it's not even on the screen. Like opera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's no reason that that... There's no reason that we shouldn't have that. It would make... Like, I am somebody who just, like, slightly processes, like, sounds a little off. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being, like... Deaf or hard of hearing. Deaf or hard of hearing. And then having to, like, have to go through the thing of being, like, I need subtitles in this movie. They should just always have them. Yeah. It doesn't... My brain hurts trying to process everything. My brain hurts. I can't hear. Um, Julia, what do you rate this movie? What do you? What's your letter grade? I would give it a C. It's C. A solid C. It's a C. No it plus is totally or minus. A C. Just a C. Yeah, it's a C. I, I, I did not have a bad time. I actually, I would like to say that I did not have a bad time. No, but we were like hanging out and like. Like our whole theater was talking. Like yeah. <laughs> we were in a we were in a condition to have an okay time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. But yes, I I think that we give this one a C. If you guys liked this episode, um, how? Uh, <laughs> but also, you guys can follow us on Twitter at uh, SideFlixPod. You can follow our other main podcast where we do a much better job of things. Uh, well, mm, uh, where we cover shows that only got one season. It is called One Season Wonders. It is at OSW Pod, uh, OSW underscore pod on Twitter. You can find us on um, Spotify and iTunes and Stitcher. We also have a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. Um, the Teen Wolf Rewolf. The Teen Wolf Rewolf. If you're into that, you can find us there. Uh, if you want to buy our movie tickets, if you buy our movie tickets, you get to pick the next thing we see in theaters. You can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash Scillian Pursing Productions. That link is in all of our socials. Other than that, I've been Christian. I've been Julia. And uh, we'll see you guys next time we go to the movies. Bye. Bye.